Hi, you're listening to Go See a Show, New York City's independent theater podcast. Stories are powerful. And in his piece, Outside Paducah, The Wars at Home, writer-slash-playwright-turned-performer Jay Mode weaves together three haunting narratives about the effects of war as they're felt back home, and not just by the former warriors. I spoke with Jay after a recent performance. Take a listen. It's like a podcast about, like, cool. the independent theater. So um, I'm shy, though. I can tell. I, obviously, I just watched you for 80 minutes on stage talking to us with no one else supporting you. So you're a very shy man. I'll make sure to pull everything out of you. This is why we give you the social lubricant of alcohol to hook it up. Uh, welcome to the podcast I have with me here, the creator slash performer of Outside Paducah. J-Mode. Glad you were here, sir, and glad you were letting me sit on stage on your lovely set uh, and share a beer with you. So thank you very much uh, for doing this. I could not be happier right now in this moment. <laughs> Brooklyn beer, good. It, yeah, we're this. We are uh, sponsored by Brooklyn Oktoberfest this time. Oh, uh, Brooklyn Oktoberfest. All right, there we go. That's good. Amen. Um, <laughs> I'm going to hit them up for that, by the way. So uh, I, I always like to start the podcast with like a little summary of like what you made and and what it is. So like, how do you describe to people like I, I'm doing the show? It's called Outside Paducah. What, what do you tell people the show is? How do you describe it? I say it's a uh, realize it's a trip triptych of uh, personal narratives that tell the story of layered generations, not necessarily connected family members, but layered generations that have endured the legacy of trauma and how it reverberates across generations. You know, from a little boy who grows up around it and watches his father with traumatic brain injury to an old man whose father served and his son served, and, he, and he's in the middle. He feels the weight of both of those, plus a little subtle guilt that is layered underneath everything. Uh, and then, of course, the last piece, the current generation of vets, these guys who are coming home, and there's this kind of profound frustration that I've found that's pretty pervasive in that community, especially this community of these guys who came from like these Rust Belt towns. That, you know, they have this sense of like, you know, I'm going off to fight, you know, things should be getting better at home, and they come back, and they're not. The jobs aren't there, there's nothing has changed. So there's that disillusionment that kind of settles in. And I, I like to think that the work captures all of those aspects and you know, just brings them to life and puts them out there in a way that isn't you know, telling too much, that just is the story being revealed on stage. This is why it's brilliant to do it in the theater, because it has that, that way of uh, doing that kind of work that you're, you're asking it to do. Um, this is personal for you, though. Right? How, I mean, no. I want to get into a little bit of that. Like, why did you make this piece for you? Like, <laughs> SJ, like, so, what was this about for you? Well, I, I'm a writer, really. Um, this is the first time I've ever performed. Uh, I, it's, it's not, I mean, I performed last year in Minneapolis, but I, I performed briefly with the Telling Project as well. Um, but I'm, I'm first and foremost a writer, and these stories live in me. Uh, so the first piece, you know, it's this little boy. It was just a voice I heard one day after visiting my parents and who live outside Paducah. <laughs> uh, Paducah is? Paducah, Kentucky. Right. And um, they had moved down there, and there was this old Civil War cemetery and right by this town called Mound City. And I asked my dad, well, uh, why is it called Mound City? And uh, he said, oh, that's the Indian burial mounds. And I go, oh, the ghosts that must be talking to each other. And I was just, I thought that, and that story in my subconscious built one day and it just turned into that piece. But it was a, it was a fiction piece first. 
And then the third piece, which is a, a current vet going off, uh, you know, coming home after the after he's experienced the PTSD and things, coming back to this bar, I ended up writing that based off of uh, hearing a remark in a in a bar, a really disturbing remark, which I'm not going to say what it is, but it's in the play. It is. Uh, and I heard that remark, and that story grew out of that. And then I I performed. I did a reading of that story. It had won a, a Consequence Magazine Fiction Award. So I read it at an event, and uh, I got a standing ovation because I decided to kind of play it up. And a guy who was in the original cast of A Chorus Line said I had to perform this. So wait a minute. You're not just a writer. You're a performer. I'm just Get wild. on stage, jerk. <laughs> That's pretty much what he told me. Yeah, and nice. Then, um, after a few glasses of wine, he convinced me that I should do this, but I, I needed another story. And I said, okay, I'm, I'll do it. I'll, I'll see it. I've never done it. What the heck? And then I, I woke up the next day, and I saw the father wow. walking back and forth in my mind. Um, and I, I had to get up at 5 a.m. and start writing. And uh, sent it off to a director I'd met. She said she loved it, and you know, now we're here. And now we're here in New York City. This is a New York City premiere. You've done this in Minneapolis before? Yeah, we did a four, uh, just a four-day run in Minneapolis over Veterans Day last year to get it up on its feet, see what kind of response there would be. And really, the response kind of blew me away. Over what people would come up and hug me afterwards and crying. And, uh, and I thought, oh, okay, I guess I'm actually touching people. So, uh, and a small thing, I want to make sure this is on the mic. Um, you're a vet yourself, correct? Right, I'm a... Uh, Air Force guy, I flew C-130s in the Air Force, and uh, you know, I, but I, I never really had any trauma from combat. I mean, I've flown combat missions. It's a whole different thing, you know. The the Air Force were distanced by that, and uh, but my dad's a Vietnam vet, so uh, I, I get it and I understand. I, I grew up with his trauma. I've worked with warrior riders, helping them uh, teach vets how to write to deal with the trauma of war. Uh, and I've been right, and I taught war literature at the Air Force Academy. So I'm also I was an, also an English professor. So uh, I taught that there. So it was a kind of a confluence of all of these things. Say, it's, like, it's almost like you were meant to like do perform a show about. At this some story. point, I, I as I look back, I go, wow! I think every single thing that I has kind of pushed me in this direction, and I never planned for it. <laughs> well, I'm really, I am. I'm really stoked that you hooked up with Poetic Productions because Poetic Theater has been doing all this stuff around uh, veterans and. Um, telling veteran stories, stories in the theater. And I would love to kind of talk about how you have found, and I know this is the start of your run, right, mm -hmm. um, here in the city. Um, you talked a little bit about how veterans have come up and been very appreciative of the work and had a lot to say about it. How have you found the reactions have been, can you compare reactions from folks from the veterans perspective versus folks from the civilian perspective like how have the reactions been to the show given people's personal histories when they watch what you do yeah that's great so I uh, I had worked in the Minnesota Humanities Center I I I got a law passed in Minnesota designating Veterans Voices Month and uh, yeah. so uh, and I worked with the Minnesota Humanities Center to make that happen and in the process there uh, I had met some people who were vets uh, and particularly this one couple, and one of the readings I had done early on, this woman brought her husband, and uh, I knew he he had PTSD, but he was also a counselor. He was a PTSD counselor. Wow. And uh, but I didn't really know that much about him, but it turns out he was Prince Harry's personal PTSD counselor. Wow. So when he had come to my reading, uh, and I did it, and he walked, he came up to me afterwards and said, 
you got it spot on. He goes, you really captured the trauma in a way that it's, it's hard to capture. And when he told me that, I was like, okay, I, I have to do this. Um, so that was really important to me. So that was coming from the vet community. And then we had several vets, obviously, that would come to performance in Minneapolis. I knew a lot of them. And, uh, and it, it was, you know, this overwhelming sense of, it was almost just this gratefulness, like that, that somebody's doing this so that people can see it. Uh, and in terms of civilians, I, I was really surprised. <laughs> um, because they were the ones that would come up to me and hug me more than anything at the end. Because in some ways, I think they thought that maybe that was really me. This was your story. Yeah, this is kind of like my yeah. personal story. Uh, that that last person that we see is like right. you in the bar. Okay. And they, so they thought that, you know, well, maybe that's him. And, you know, and I think just that's the natural thing when you're doing your first person performance on the, on the show, in the show. But the, um, so that was really interesting. But, you know, people were in tears. And, uh, but then we would have talkbacks with the audience as well. And they were just this wonderful, enriching thing for the audience to, to get these perspectives because I would have other vets on stage with me. Right. And, um, and it was just, it, it, but it creates that dialogue, right? So ultimately, in my mind, you know, we, we have these stories, you know, whether it's me or other vets, and then you've got society out here, and that thing in the middle that bridges that is, is the art, right? It's, it's that space in the middle where story happens, where people don't judge each other, where people don't see anything, they don't blame, they don't do anything, but they just see the art, the story in the middle, and they have to decide for themselves what to do with it. Talk more about that because I feel like, and this is maybe like me coming from a, a civilian background, right. and um, it almost seems like from my perspective, there can be this idea of art, mm -hmm. of theater, as very effeminate and very like, oh, useless. Like, you know, these mm -hmm. kids who are going in and playing pretend on stage when real people are out there doing actual things and fighting in wars and doing real jobs, quote unquote. How do you feel about that? I mean, in terms of the idea of, there, there can be, or at least to my perspective, and so correct me on this, um, it feels like there can be this perspective of art as floof, <laughs> like something that's just silly off to the side. And it sounds to me like you're saying you have encountered a lot of people coming from a, a military background, finding real power and real strength and real uh, uh, just emotion out of going to the theater. Uh, can you talk, just just delve a little bit more into that? Cause I'm yeah, curious. I mean, I mean, everything comes down to story, right? I mean. You know, it's that basic human impulse from the time we're a little kid and the first thing we say to our dad is, tell me a story, right? And, you know, and if we embrace that idea of how, how we learn through story, how story changes the way we see the world and the way we imagine the possibilities, and also it, it invites us into all of these other places that we cannot begin to see. I mean, we can sit in front of TV and watch something and, and feel kind of like taking it, but it's a very different thing. TV makes an appearance in the show, which is it does, yeah. it does. I you know, and I play on that notion of that you know you watch things over and over again, and but it's a it's a whole different thing to sit here in the theater. I mean, the, the Greeks knew this, right? I mean, the Greeks were doing this. You know, thousands of years ago, they were having these stories to inform the nation Many on the trauma about war. War, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Brian Dorries is, is doing amazing work here. He's the artist the theater in the, of war, theater. Right? Yeah, theater yeah. of war. He's the artist in residence at the VA, and you know they're going out and they're using those same stories 
to have that dialogue with the community. Do you don't find there's like a hump you have to get over though? Like, yeah, uh, it's theater, it's okay, like, come on in. I'm not sure, what do you mean by that? As in like, is, is there any re like resistance to this idea of like art um, as a way to delve into these more serious issues? No, I don't think so. Uh, that makes me very encouraged. Well, for one thing, I, I was I was a fiction editor for the Air Force Academy's Journal of War Literature and the Arts for years. So we would have a ton of people, I mean, writing in submissions or trying to get published in the journal, and we would publish the most amazing stuff from guys from World War II through you know Vietnam through the current wars and and all different genres: visual art, poetry, fiction, nonfiction, flash fiction, you know, everything, and. Um, and now people are recognizing, like, you know what? These, these are kind of the stories that need to be heard. And, and a lot of the colleges are having more and more classes to teach this stuff. And that's one of the reasons I got behind this whole uh, doing Veterans Voices Law in Minnesota, so that we could really push teaching this stuff. Because there's this level of intimidation that a lot of professors have in teaching this subject matter. Everyone feels very safe teaching, you know, Tim O'Brien's The Thing You Carried, you know, uh, you know, all these basic texts that are out there, Catch-22, you know, Kurt Vonnegut's stuff, and uh, um, Slaughterhouse-Five, and, uh, and, you know, All Quiet and Western Front, you know, it's like, I, I, they all teach those, right? right. So We, we have the, our canon of we've got our military canon, related things. And people are very comfortable, very comfortable thematically and how to teach that and stuff, but they're there's so much interesting and amazing new stuff coming out that's giving this whole other layer about it. And uh, so part of it is like, once people start teaching this and they're teaching it more and more in the society, it becomes the beautiful thing that art does, right? It, it informs us in a way that we are actively allowing ourselves to engage in a discussion that's going to inform the broader society on the decisions we make as a future society going forward. Clausewitz, the great war philosopher, says, the one decision that each society makes that ultimately defines its fate is that decision to go to war. Mm. That is the most important thing, and we need to be actively you know, aware of that. I mean, and so when people hear these stories, they see it through a whole new lens, this whole sense of war. Like, yeah, it costs money, it's horrible, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? It costs in so many ways, right? Now, I have a very dear friend that his great-grandfather was a 15-year-old kid in, uh, who was uh, an Irishman who lived in Canada. He and his brother were 15 and 16-year-olds when World War I kicked off. They signed up to serve. They lied about their age. The two of them, 15 and 16, are over in the... Uh, the Ardennes Forest in France, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, uh, but they're going through and they, and they were serving together because they allowed him to serve together and the 15-year-old looks over and sees his brother's head blown off. Now, that boy, that 15-year-old kid, came home from the war and he never recovered from that moment, right? And um, he lived for that and that trauma reverberates down through society to affect my, my friend today. And he'll say, he's like, yeah, he, he came back, he was a bitter alcoholic, uh, you know, abusive, bitter, angry at the whole world from what he'd seen. And you don't think that reverberates? Of course it reverberates. And we feel that trauma across society. And for people who, you know, make those decisions to go to war, they need to be aware of that. Which says to me that we need to see more of those decision makers um, in the house. Yes, well, my biggest thing too is you know, there was a time when we had a lot of people who were decision makers who had served, 
Mm-hmm. And we have so few of them today. It's a very so few world, of them yeah. have, yeah, they have no concept what it means to serve. You know, they, they you know, they play, <laughs> they play the part, right? You know, they all want to help the vets, but you know what? The, the VA is underfunded, understaffed, and people are dying. People, you know, are, are just suffering. And when you have, you know, a society that is not willing to actively support those people who go off and serve and, and, and fight, it's a decadence. It is an utter decadent society. It's like, you know, this, it becomes this, you know, people who just do not care. All they care about is themselves. And this is the point in the podcast where I editorialize a little bit and say, like, thank you to you for getting this message out and thank you to Poetic Theater Productions for, like, also doing this kind of work because, um, I, I'm, I'm really heartened to hear you say like you, you really feel like this work can, um, this, the work that we just saw on stage can do the kind of work that needs to be done to get veterans issues and get ideas of like how to properly care for our, uh, our service members out into the world. So um, if you don't see it, you can't know. Right? And, and you can see all the cliches you want on TV. You can hear all this, the basic sets in the news, but you're not going to feel it. And unless you feel it, you're not going to act on it. Come to the theater, right? Feel it. I can't think of a better way to close this conversation. Thank you so much, Jay. Salud. Brilliant work. Uh, The show is outside Paducah. We are at the Wild Project in the East Village. And the show runs through, when do you close? Uh, October 15th. And uh, tickets and more information can be found at? Uh, Poetic theater.com and uh, every Sunday there is a talk back with a veteran panel uh, which will be engaging in any discussion that the uh, audience wants to have. So. And every night there's a different veteran going to be giving a little pre... Right. Uh, a little 15 minute reading, 10 to 15 minute reading to... Uh, it's, sometimes it's fiction, sometimes it's poetry, sometimes it's spoken word, sometimes it's music, it's a little bit of everything. I saw a theater artist tonight and he was brilliant, so yeah. yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's all of these different, you know, artists from the New York City that are actively coming together to answer the question we never got to talk about, which was Sebastian Younger's call for soldiers, you know, to bear the moral burden of war by sharing their stories. And that's what we're doing. Brilliant. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you, Jay, for hanging out after the show to chat and for sharing a beer with me. You can catch Outside Paducah, The Wars at Home, presented by Poetic Theater Productions at The Wild Project, 195 East 3rd Street in Manhattan through October 15th, 2017. Head to PoeticTheater.com, and that's theater with an E-R, for a link to tickets and more information. Another plug for the League of Independent Theater to close out the podcast, and this time also a heads up about a couple of events Lit is holding in October of 2017. If you've ever been curious to know just what a New York City community board is, what it does, and how you can get involved with the one in your community, Lit would love to give you an introduction. Join us for An Artist's Guide to Participating in Your Community Board. We'll be at the Bushwick Star on Tuesday, October 17th, and at the National Black Theater on Monday, October 23rd, both at 7 p.m. Head to litny.org for more information, and while you're there, sign up as a member of the League if you aren't yet already. Membership is, of course, free 
Come help make the city a better place for indie theater artists with us. Thanks to you for listening into the podcast. If you dig it, please give it a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash go see a show. Follow at go see a show on Twitter and rate and or comment on the show's Apple Podcasts page. Until next time, go see a show. Salute, man. Hey, Cheers. you know what? That's that's one of the best interviews I've ever done. That was really, really cool. I got a big mouth. Thank you. <laughs>